Welcome to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. I'm Kate Oda. And I'm James Moore. And today we are going to be talking about Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. It is a magical realism fiction novel. It follows Lillian, who becomes the nanny for one of her childhood friends and her stepchildren, spoiler alert, uh, spontaneously catch on fire. So she has to try to help conceal this special power because their father is in the government. And spoiler alert for the entire discussion, we'll be talking about the book in depth. So if you haven't read the book, pause and go read it and then come back and join us after you complete it so you can hear our full discussion. So overall thoughts? Well, I'll tell you, um, like you, um, Amber, do most of the time, I did not read any synopsis of the book. And, and I did see the cover of, you know, look like somebody that was on fire. And I took everything as symbolic and metaphorical until I read that line said, the child burst into flames. And I was like, oh, wow, we're finishing this book. <laughs> So um, it was it was very Kafka esque as far as exploring that because there, there wasn't too much delving into well how do people burst into flame and not be injured you know because you hear about spontaneous combustion those stories and stuff like that and they touched on it in the book but it wasn't a, a main feature of the book it was like take, just take it for granted oh well you know some people just burst into flames <laughs> you know. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it and how it was handled by uh, our hero, Lillian. I wasn't the biggest fan of this book. <laughs> I I figured it would be literal children bursting into flames, you know. Um, but I didn't like Lillian and I didn't like Madison and I didn't like the children. And I really didn't like Timothy. What a creeper. <laughs> so... <laughs> By the time I was halfway through the book, I, I didn't care what happened to anybody. And then by the end of the book, I was really dissatisfied with the ending. So overall, it, it just left me a little little disappointed. Yeah. Well, I saw the cover and I didn't even really recognize that that was a fire. It kind of looked like, I don't even know what it looked like. It looked like a skirt that had blown up or... <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even make the connection that it was fire until I started reading it. And like James mentioned, I don't know anything about books before I go into it. So I was also very shocked (laughs) to figure out what this book was about. I just saw it on some popular lists and I started reading it. So I I was definitely not expecting that. Uh, I have quite a bit of experience working with children. I've been a nanny. uh, So I have kind of a perspective on, on that sort of thing. But like you, Kate, I was kind of left feeling like the book was kind of flat. I thought for having such an intriguing concept, there would have been a lot more conflict and chaos. I kept waiting and waiting and it just seemed too calm. Nothing really bad ever happened. You know, this could have gone really, really bad in a lot of different ways. And it was like, oh, something is about to go wrong. And then she'd fix it before it happened. And even at the very end, it wasn't really that big of a blow up for what what I was expecting. Yeah, the climax was not climactic. So did you, what did you think, James, that the secret would be bef- like before you found out that it was the fire thing, since you didn't know what it was going to be with the children? You know, I, I wasn't sure. I was, I was looking forward to finding out what that was. I knew that there were children with another 
wife. So I thought maybe there was something about her past that was um, a deep, dark secret that, you know, of course, they put him in a position of power as a politician, say, okay, something that a politician would not want put out there. And these days, unfortunately, we live in a world where, you know, a sex scandal is not a big deal. (laughs) You know, it would have to be something like um, hooking up with vicious aliens from another planet or something. (laughs) But um, I I, kind of just suspended that. I just wanted the author to kind of explain that to me. And I can see where, you know, having children that burst into flame would be a little bit of a problem as far as, you know, uh, being respectable in the House of Representatives. But again... um, it was strange. It, that made it a page turner for me. I was it was almost like a an auto accident. I said, okay, I, I gotta see how this, you know, ends. But I did not see what the big deal was as far as okay, my kids burst into flames. I'd still vote for the guy if he had a good plan for you know employment and whatever. I didn't see it as a big problem. I don't know what the big fuss was about. I was trying to kind of see it metaphorically. I've worked with children with anger issues before. And a lot of times they stem from some sort of traumatic incident, either at home or otherwise. And so I thought maybe, well, that could be more what they were trying to hide, like whatever triggered this, this anger, because that's kind of what was starting the flames to build up anytime they were getting frustrated or angry. And it's the same for children who are distressed. And so I thought, you know, it was a way for people to kind of understand, you know, who may have never been around children, how they can have these anger bursts and tantrums and and how that could be destructive. If you were a politician and you had a child that started throwing chairs or hitting people, that could be very disturbing to the public. Well, you know, you can't control your own children is, you know, what they would be thinking. So I tried to see everything kind of through that perspective. But at the same time, for someone like Lillian, who's never been around children or worked with children, really, to be such a natural, I get that they were trying to talk about motherhood and her filling that role. But it can be very challenging to work with children like that, especially if you have no experience. And she just kind of knew exactly what to do and how to calm them down from the very beginning. So what did you think about how she kind of stepped into that role? Yeah, that was that was kind of unbelievable to me because I'm I'm someone who has no childcare experience, okay? I've never even changed a diaper. Um I got no I babysat like half a time <laughs> because my sister was there and it didn't go well. We had to call my mom. <laughs> So I was just picturing what I would do with children that would burst into flame and I would not have started off as successful as her. Like a building would have had to come down first, (laughs) Um, which is what I was expecting and kind of hoping for like a little bit of excitement and how are they going to spin that in the newspaper? Cause it's 1995. So at least no one would be like tweeting about it or something. Um, wow, I didn't even uh, realize it was in 1995. I totally it was. That. <laughs> yeah, the first line of the book is like, in 1995, when I was 28. And I was like, oh, hey, also 28. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I it was unbelievable to me that she would start out really great. I, if she had done research or like taken a 
you know, children's CPR class or something before she got there. It might have made sense. And I think maybe she mentioned CPR, actually. But that's not the point. I didn't believe it. And she never improved. She always just stayed good. And I wanted more growth than that. Well, you know, I I hate to disagree, but that does make it for an exciting podcast. Um, That was one of the few things I did accept because Lillian was ideally qualified for those particular kids. And the reason why she was successful right off is because those kids were damaged. I mean, psychologically damaged, not because of the the fact that they burst into flames. I think the real tragedy or the real thing to keep a secret was how they were treated because they burst into flames. That was the shame of that family. And that's what caused the damage with these kids. I mean, a kid that would just try to bite a finger off a person right off from eating them, that's a damaged child. But Lillian lived a damaged childhood herself. I mean, she, her mom was not going to win any awards. That's for sure. And she was kind of treated like um, somebody that was disposable almost, even though she had great potential. You know, there was nobody there to encourage her, nobody there to kind of tell her, okay, you've got a, a, a great future or whatever. Basically, she was told at the height of her realizing that potential, hey, you know, it's best for you to just give up your whole future because of this beautiful girl you fell in love with in college because um, everybody is more important to you. So um, that experience in, in um, living with her mom, I think, made her uniquely qualified to have the success she had right off and to blow off somebody trying to bite her finger off, <laughs> you know, um, when she first met these kids. And I think it also explains why there was a lack of growth because they were all kind of just sitting in the same place, you know, soon after they, you know, got together and met each other. And I think that was her instant attraction to these kids because she saw herself in them. But again, in the story itself, it is disappointing to have no growth in a character like that. It's disappointing to have nobody really moving forward. Okay, great. She's got these kids now, but this, I'm waiting for the disaster. The disaster never happened. You want to have a disaster happen that gets resolved and it never happened. Yeah, this felt almost like an Ann Tyler type of book. I don't know if you've read any of her stories, but they're usually family sagas. There's some inner conflict with the family, but nothing really extreme happens. It's just kind of, okay, this is normal family life and we might have some disagreements happening, but there's not this big thing. So it could be seen like that, but then you throw in something like kids bursting into flames and it just sets your expectations up to have that kind of big explosion, literally and figuratively, (laughs) But but it never happened. So I think that if this had been just a story about children with anger issues and family issues and being neglected, then I think we might be okay with not having more conflict than there was because the story ends up with her having the children and that's kind of the big resolution. But I don't think you can get away with building it up and and not having any sort of excitement (laughs) for the reader in that way. And I even thought the whole thing with Timothy also catching on fire. I thought that was interesting, but it ultimately just 
left me feeling very sad, even more sad for the children because I don't know. I mean, I'm a new mom and I feel like if my daughter had a disability, which you could think of this as a disability, you would accept them for who they are and you would try to help them. And I think that's what Madison tried to do with Timothy once it was her own child that burst into flames. But when it was someone else's child, her stepchildren, she she didn't care. And their own dad by birth, he didn't really care either. So what makes Timothy so special that that he's treated differently. I can understand from Madison's perspective, kind of, because it's her own child by birth versus stepchildren, but Jasper is the father of all, all of them. And it, yeah, it just left me feeling very sad. Yeah. Um, I, I got the feeling that Jasper had just kind of moved on from his previous wife and therefore wanted to move on from the kids because they reminded him that he had a previous wife, um, which was really sad because they were pretty young, I guess, when that whole thing happened. Um, and 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 their mom seems like she wasn't in the best place in terms of her mental health. Sorry if you can hear my cat. That's Wilbur. He says hello. So anyway, it seems like their mom was in the best space in terms of her mental health, especially because she killed herself uh, and tried to get the children to kill themselves. Uh, So that could be even more of a reminder to Jasper when he sees the kids of what she did, what she tried to do, that he wasn't there to stop it. So it could be guilt. It could be disinterest. We never got into that. That could have been interesting. (laughs) Well, and you mentioning all those things makes me think about how we picked this book because it was supposed to be humor. It wasn't funny. (laughs) No. I think it's so difficult to find a book that's labeled as humor that is actually funny because I think tone tends to get lost, um, humorous tone anyway, in books a lot of the time. And the concept wasn't even funny. It would be one thing if, okay, it's kind of funny and ridiculous. So there could be some sad parts that are really kind of more dark humor, but it wasn't any of that. It was all just really sad. Yeah, I read some reviews just to see if anyone else thought it was funny. And they were like, ooh, such dark wit, dark humor. I was like, no, where was it? (laughs) Yeah, I I saw this book as something that had a lot of potential. The, The author had a great idea, but we never saw any of it pursued. The most exciting thing that happened in the book for me was when Timothy got set on fire. I said, okay, now, now we're going to have something go on. And then there was, there was nothing, you know, I, I thought that I was going to see when, when the, the children, the first two children burst into flames, I thought we were going to see, okay, Lillian's going to be like their mentor. Cause I don't see children bursting into flame as a disability. I see it as a superpower. I might be stuck on this Marvel universe. Thing. <laughs> I'm like, man, this is great. These kids have incredible potential they just need somebody to kind of coach them through, okay, don't burn burn up houses or people's pets or anything like that, you know, and kind of teach them to use their powers responsibly. I thought that's what we were going to have when the first kids burst into flames. I said, oh, this is going to be cool. And that was never chased down. The, the fact that Timothy um, burst into flames, that was really never chased down as far as being part of the group. And the acknowledgement that the dad is like, I guess he's given this, you know, given off this flammable chromosome to women. <laughs> you have to keep him away from people. Um, it None of it was chased down. It was like watching a, a rock roll to the edge of a cliff and then just roll back again. You know, you never see it roll over the cliff and have to crash at the bottom. You, you never get to see that. That's 
how I saw this book. But strangely enough for me, it was still a page turn. I was still, they, they had me on this hook of, okay, there's got to be something happening. And as I was going through my disappointment, I like, you know, skipped to the end of the book. I said, I'm almost at the end of this book and there's nothing going on. You know, it was, it was disappointing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's how I felt too. I was excited about it and I kept reading and I actually read it pretty quickly because I thought something else was going to happen and then it didn't. But I never even really thought of it in terms of it being a superpower. And that's a good point. It could have been utilized as a positive in that way. I guess the reason why I saw it as as a hindrance is because of, of how they were trying to get them to not burst into flames. They were trying to manage and have them behave in what we would consider a normal way. And that's the same way that you would work with children who have severe, severe anger issues is you you can have some anger. It's a normal emotion. So you never want to tell a child like they, you can never be angry because that's just unrealistic. You just help them learn how to deal with it appropriately. And when you're angry, here are some steps you can take. But if you are angry to the point of destruction, that's that's an issue. And when you have the the damage that they had and the trauma that they've had in their life, that's that's a, a bigger issue. And until Timothy also caught on fire. I never even thought of it as uh, a hereditary thing. I thought of it as because of that trauma that this triggered this in them. Uh, so, so that's why I was thinking of it as they were just trying to manage it and figure out how to live a somewhat normal life. But you're right, James, if they had treated it as you are so special, let's figure out how to use this to your advantage. I don't know how you use fire to your advantage unless there's another like super villain. <laughs> Maybe they could work at a energy factory. I don't know. <laughs> well, they'd be great firefighters because they're fireproof. So they could go rescue people that can't be rescued otherwise. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good idea. Yeah. You know, there was so much that could be done. I, I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm taking this over, but um, I don't, you guys probably, you know, didn't do the comic book thing when you were kids. Did you collect comic books when you were kids? Well, there's one part, there's one franchise in Marvel, the X-Men. You, you've heard that, I'm sure. I mean, because it's all over the place. And the whole premise of that is that you have these oddball people that's ostracized by society, but Still, they want to help society. Okay. And that's the whole thing. And I thought that's where we were going with here. Usually with a book, I kind of praise the book if it doesn't follow the formula and does something different. This book did something different. It didn't follow the formula. And because of that, it was bad. The formula is you have oddballs and they somehow get you know, beat down by society, but still they end up helping society. They, But it didn't follow that formula. It would have been a much more satisfying story if they did get trained in their powers. And we could have explored those powers because just bursting in the flames, maybe it could have been like, they could put fires out, they can absorb fire or you know that sort of thing. If they did that exploration, then it would have been, a, I think it was a much better story if they took that formula, but they didn't. And here we are talking about this book that didn't satisfy us. Yeah, I felt like but there was a specific setup. I felt like there was a promise made. And the promise was the, the house for the twins is really fireproofed. The house for the twins has all of these safety measures. The house for the twins has this and this and this, but the big house doesn't. And I was like, okay, so the big house is going to catch on fire and the twins are going to have to go in and save whoever's in there. And because we kept coming back to the cook, I was like, maybe the cook is going to purposely set the house on fire 
because she's crazy and just like is sick of this job or or I didn't think of Timothy catching the house on fire but like it it's an option now <laughs> so I thought that was the promise of like the big house is going down and we never got it I wanted to see it burn <laughs> yeah I was trying to think about you know if un- underneath all of this what was the main theme so I tried to think about well is it about motherhood because you have very different uh examples of motherhood you have um the stepmother madison and her protecting her own child but not her stepchildren and kind of being distant towards them and then you've got the twins actual birth mother and her sad demise and then you've got lillian's mom who is also very distant and then you have lillian who kind of takes on this motherly role even though it seems at least to me i know james you disagreed about this part that that she didn't it didn't really make sense that she fell so quickly into this motherly role um and then i tried to think about is it about friendship is that what this book is about but there wasn't really any good friendships either um so we could talk about the motherhood portion first so do you think that madison was a good mom at least towards her son timothy probably i don't know i never like to judge moms too much because i've never been one or any sort of parent so i'm like they're doing their best (laughs) they put on pants today i'm proud of you (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know what it takes I really did like one part, though, where Madison talked about why Timothy dresses the way he dresses. And she's like, well, he chooses this. You know, later in life, people are going to tell him to stop being this weird. But right now at home, like, do what makes you happy, Timothy. And I was like, oh, that's a really great philosophy. Uh, He's weird as hell, but like, uh, she's going for it. So, okay. But at the same time, she was a terrible stepmother. (laughs) So there is something not, not going well there because, you know. I feel like she should have embraced those motherless children that belong to her husband in a more loving way instead of banishing them. But again, I'm not a mom, so I'm trying not to judge. <laughs> I have no problem putting on the robe and the powdered wig and getting the gavel because um, it, as we're discussing this, it, it, you know, it comes clear to me that this is a textbook step-by-step textbook on how to be a crappy mom and a crappy person. They're really not any redeemable people in this whole story, but especially the moms and how they treated their kids. It's, it's sad. And, um, and it's only, you get specific examples on how not to treat, (laughs) not to treat children and the consequences that come out of that, as far as how the kids come out damaged and hurt other people. It's a very, very sad book when you analyze it. You know, if it were, if it wasn't for this group, I would have just walked away from this book and said, "Okay, well, you know, maybe the next one will be better." But now I'm analyzing it; it's really depressing me. So thanks for that. <laughs> I know <laughs> it was it was really, especially as a new mom reading this story. It just I couldn't imagine treating my own child in the ways that the the parents and the mothers, especially. Well, you can include Jasper in this too. He was a really horrible dad. And I will judge him for that. (laughs) I couldn't imagine treating my children in this way. And I feel like, you know, I've never been a step parent, but I have step parents and they've accepted me, you know, as best as they could. I'm sure it's weird for them to try to take on someone else's child and, 
you don't want to step on toes if if that other parent is still around. And there's ways to be able to at least accept a child and you don't have to be like really motherly if that's not coming naturally, but at least be a decent human being towards them. And I feel like that's, I feel like Madison is just one of those people that tries to put on a front. I'm a good person and I care about you, but really I don't care about you at all. And I feel like she didn't really want any part of the twins' life. She was kind of awful to them. And I get you want them to be in a fireproof house, but she really was like trying to say, they're not really my problem. I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure they don't burn down my house or cause a scene. But I really don't care about their well-being. And and then you have her friendship with Lillian. And I don't feel like they were really friends at all. I feel like Lillian was kind of strange and Madison took advantage of her especially that whole situation where she got kicked out of school and ruined her entire life I know that it was Madison's mom but she didn't step in and say anything like no we don't have to do that let me take responsibility for my own actions and I get that she was younger but as an adult she could have said, I'm sorry, but she just continued to walk all over Lillian and take advantage of her when she needed help. Do you think there was any even glimmer of a real friendship in there? A, a real friendship? No. Um, Madison is, I think she's the most reprehensible person in the entire book because she's basically, she's the master manipulator. She manipulated everyone around her and look at her example. Her example was her dad who started off on the track of this, is how you get ahead in life. You manipulate people people to get what you want. Basically, that was the example of that whole front story as far as what happened in college. And she did that. She manipulated Jasper and molding him into, you know, that guy was not capable of his own thoughts. <laughs> she told him everything to do to get him to the position that he was. She manipulated those stepchildren of hers. She manipulated uh, Lillian like to, to no end, you know, on, on a whole bunch of levels. I don't think she, she didn't come across as sincere to me at all. I, I did not like her. And um, I guess that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, she was she was a terrible friend uh, in school. You could tell even before Lillian admitted that she was in love with Madison. You could tell Madison knew and Madison used it. And she's the definition of privilege. Uh, she was a rich girl. She used the money to do drugs and get away with it. Um, and it, it shows how privilege kind of perpetuates through generations. Like she was able to screw over someone who was about to like get out of poverty and like claw her way out. And with just a steak dinner, basically just sent her right back down into poverty and had no consequences for herself ever again, <laughs> um, which was really frustrating. But then when you see them as adults, they played that basketball game in the backyard and Lillian was about to win and Madison just like elbowed her in the face. No consequences again. Like not even for a big payoff this time. Just being mean. <laughs> that really pissed me off. I'm sorry. I, I don't want me to interrupt. But that whole basketball game, that was going to be the moment where, you know, our hero was going to be able to do something in front of these kids and be their hero and everything. I, I just knew that she was going to win that game. But she gets clocked in the face and loses and loses the game afterwards. I was like, this story sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Madison, I guess, was 
the antagonist, I suppose. We can look at it that way. Um, but it was very, I don't know, she was emotionally manipulative the whole time. So I wouldn't even say that they were like friends to lovers to enemies to like any of those tropes. Like, I don't even know what to call them. They're just like entangled, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, all parts of that was kind of non-committal as far as the way it was written. I mean, I'm not saying that I want, you know, blow by blow detail and everything, but the way they described their, their relationship in college, she said, you know, you slept in the bed with me and everything, but that doesn't really say, that doesn't tell me anything as far as how close you got in your real relationship. I mean, was it a lesbian relationship? It doesn't really say. And I, maybe the author wanted us to just fill in the blanks ourselves, but I think that was like way too many blanks as far as uh, describe, describing their relationship. And their relationship was just as ambiguous the time they were apart, the letter writing thing, the way that was described. And when they finally got face to face again, it was, there was one, I think there was one point when Lillian says, I love you to Madison. And they, they, you know, they kind of say it back and forth, but we're almost at the end of the book by then, you know, and that should have been kind of you know brought out up front. It was another disappointing thing about the book. Yeah. I read that as Lillian loved Madison and Madison was like, well, I know <laughs> like I've known this all along. That's why I've done everything that I've done. You know, that was the blank that I filled in. I never thought that there was any kind of real relationship there. I think it was more of, they were sharing the room and Madison fed into that. She liked the attention. She liked what she could get from the attention and she was kind of saving it in her pocket and that's what I kind of took from the letter writing. Like One day I'm going to need her help. So I'm going to keep her on this string just in case I ever need a favor. And I never felt like there was any genuine emotion from Madison towards Lillian. Yeah, that's how I felt. And uh, especially considering the era that they would have gone to school was probably the 80s, it would have been ne never spoken about really in any other situation. So it's not like Lillian would be, you know, say to some friend of hers that like, oh yeah, Madison and I are together. Like Madison did, probably didn't have to worry about that kind of thing. So she could just string her along and have that loyalty that she didn't even have to buy that loyalty. That was some free loyalty right there. And she was just going to hold on to it. <laughs> Uh, but I wanted Lillian to get revenge for getting kicked out of school. I wanted it so bad. And I feel like Madison, Madison didn't even consider how much of an impact that whole situation had on Lillian because that could have turned her into a really big villain in Madison's life. And like she could have made her own enemy right there. And she should have. And I wanted Lillian to get her revenge. And she didn't. She ended up just doing Madison even more favors by taking the kids. Like, what are you doing? She could have used the kids against her instead. She's like, oh, take them off your hands. And, and I get that Lillian was starting to feel like they were her own children. But even that, I mean, it didn't seem like that much time had passed. It's not like I have a student that I really care about. But a month later, I'm like, all right, I'm going to adopt you. You are not mine. That's, <laughs> that's too fast. I don't know. The timeline seemed messed up, even how quickly she jumped into it. And I, I don't know. And I guess we also have to address that we try to pick books with strong 
female lead characters. And I have to say, I don't feel like Lillian was that strong of a main character. She protected the children ultimately at the end, which is a strong action on her part, but she was walked all over. And even at the end, it still felt like she never really stood up for herself, maybe for the children, but I don't I don't feel like she was really making enough strong independent decisions to be considered a strong character. Well, I think that we're still safe in our um, our policy as far as picking a strong female character in the book. But it wasn't Lillian. It was Madison. I mean, just because I don't like her doesn't mean that she's, I mean, she's the most powerful character in that whole book because of her manipulative powers. And, um, you know, that doesn't give quality to the book in my mind, but she was a strong character throughout the story as far as, you know, pulling everybody's strings. I mean, she's the one that, that had all the power. But, uh, you know, as as we're analyzing this book, I got a question about us as far as the, the readers, uh, the members of the podcast. Now, we've been doing this for a little while, and I'm hoping that you listeners out there, you know, listen to the other podcasts. And there have been some books that we really liked and some that some we didn't even finish, but uh, some other ones that we got all the way through and, and didn't like, kind of like this one. And but we're we're picking every one of them are major bestsellers. You know that's our list that we're working from. So um, are we snobs? You know are we not like other people who enjoy books? <laughs> you know easily. Or are we like too sophisticated in looking for a good story? Because this book has sold a bunch of copies, like other ones that we did not like. What do you think about that? Well, my uh, humble opinion. (laughs) Well, I think that we analyze books a lot more than the average reader. I think a lot of people just want the entertainment value of books, which is fine. Um, I think that's why uh, romance novels are as popular as they are. People don't really care about the uh, uniqueness and quality of the book. They just want to read a mass number of books. Like some people read a book a day and they just want something quick that they can read through, mindless, something to pass the time. Whereas we are really digging in deep. I think if we didn't talk about some of these books, I would be kind of indifferent about them. And then I find that sometimes when we're talking about it, I hate the book way more than I did before we started talking about it. So I think because we are picking it apart and offering these perspectives, it is impacting our final view of the book. Um, But also to comment on bestsellers, it is, I don't want to say manipulated, but it's also kind of manipulated which books become bestsellers uh, based on where the funds are allocated from in the publishing companies that they got to be a part of a big publishing company. Um, Cause there are some books that are in the big publishing houses, but they don't get as much of the marketing funds. It also has to do with um, do they get picked for some sort of celebrities reading list uh, does it? Do they have a lot of really rich friends that can buy ten thousand copies, which is a lot of what the New York Times bestseller list and Amazon bestseller lists? Um, and then people are drawn towards those because it narrows down the millions of books that exist out there. Because you could just go to the list and say, "Okay, here's what's popular, so it must be good, so I'll pick that." 
when I see sometimes some of the really popular books, many people don't like. Um, but also when you have that many readers, you're more likely to have a wider range. You'll have some people that love it, some people hate it, and some people in the middle. When you only have a hundred reviews, it may skew more one way than the other. So that's my long answer to your question. <laughs> Um, I would say, I think, so just because it's a bestseller doesn't mean all of the people who are purchasing the book are the same people every time. So for example, I think we all really liked Trail of Lightning. Um, but the people who read and love that may not read and love Nothing to See Here. It doesn't have a lot of overlap in audience. So maybe we are just really the audience for Trail of Lightning and not the audience that was meant to read and enjoy nothing to see here. And there's no problem with that. You know, authors out there, write what you love. Your audience exists. Is it going to be a hundred thousand people or 10 people? You don't know until you write it, I guess. Um, so, you know, maybe some people out there really love this book and we just aren't those people. And it's just subjective, like your favorite ice cream flavor, except sometimes you know, something shouldn't be an ice cream flavor, but someone out there decided it was good because they made it. So <laughs> those answers kind of make sense. I I am putting this book in the category of anchovy flavored ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think I've pegged myself as a snob as far as wanting a story that gives me a message that actually does something. But um, hey, that's just me. Well, what was that other one that we all collectively didn't like? Was it um... the rules of magic rules of magic so yeah. that was another magical realism book so maybe we are just not super into the magical realism genre that kind of falls flat uh <laughs> I, I think what we don't like is when there's not enough typical plot where it's like rising action climax denouement or whatever you know because because the rules of magic kind of didn't have that either. It was just sort of their lives over time and then more of their lives and then more of their lives at the end. Well, and I think the problem with magical realism is that it really should be fiction, like just normal contemporary fiction where it's about the relationships or whatever, but then you add this magical component and then you have expectations as if it was fantasy or sci-fi where you do have those really big conflicts ultimately like good versus evil that sort of thing but it ended up having more of just that family saga contemporary fiction feel to it because those a lot of times don't have that big rising action conflict so I think our expectations are set a certain way when you throw in the magical component so maybe magical realism just isn't right for us <laughs> In the area of belief without proof, I've, I've just got to believe that some person, maybe they're writing it right now, they're writing some magical realism book that has a plot, has a story with a message, with, you know, rising tension, something for the, and the protagonist to battle against with a really good antagonist and tell a good story, even though it's magical realism. I'm thinking that that, that book is out there somewhere. We just got to find it eventually. And um, when we do, I think it will be worth our, our trouble. I'm not going to put down a whole genre and say it's not for us. Yeah, I would compare magical realism to maybe more of like an urban fantasy. Urban fantasy is a little bit more into the fantasy realm, but 
Charles D. Lint is really skilled, I feel like, at incorporating like the fairies and the magic into what we would consider normal life. Um, like I said, it is a little bit more into the fantasy realm, but that would be an example of how he still can do all those things that we're looking for and making it feel like it could also happen in everyday life, which is kind of what you are looking for in magical realism. So my other big question is sometimes we read these strong female characters or just female characters in general, and usually they end up being written by a woman, but in this case it was written by a man. When I started reading the book, I actually thought the main character was a male, uh, just based on the tone and, and the descriptions of things. Uh, I didn't even, I didn't know if the main character was a man or a woman. So I don't know if you guys got that same vibe or if you knew that it was a woman going into it. So you already got that vibe. Uh, I already knew it was a woman before I started because I read a summary. (laughs) I cheated. Um, And it, yeah, it didn't quite sound like a female narrator, but it wasn't so egregious that she was like staring at her boobs all day. You know, (laughs) like it wasn't, it wasn't one of those. It was almost like she didn't have a gender almost most of the time so i i didn't really think about it too much well i i gotta say that i made the assumption you know the books that we've been selecting um i assumed that whoever was going to be the narrator up front was going to be our strong female character that we're looking for so the voice in my head was a female voice but you're right. Um, as far as how things were written, at least for, um, I don't know, maybe a chapter or two, it could have been like nondescript, you know, anybody. And um, and the things that were happening to this character, I mean, I was really, again, expectations being set. The way this person was living such a, a drudgery of life, I said, oh, this person is going to have to, you know, really break through these, these bonds of um, being second class. And, you know, this is going to be a great story at the end when they have their final victory and that didn't happen. But um, as far as, you know, the gender, yeah, I just, I made the assumption, you know, based on our previous picks. So any uh, final thoughts about this book? I can already kind of predict uh, what your final rating will be but (laughs) what how many stars would you give this book and would you recommend it to anybody i guess i'd give it one star if you were hoping for excitement and entertainment (laughs) uh it just doesn't love you live up to the promises or the premise you're gonna be disappointed but if you like maybe more literary fiction, Amber, you described it as family saga. If that's your jam and you just want a little bit of spice in there with some flames, then maybe this is for you. Uh, but if you're a traditional fantasy or sci-fi person, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment and uh, it's not for you. Um, one star is really harsh. So Sorry. I'm, giving, I'm giving it one star. Because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, and the only reason why this star, that one star got earned is because, um, you know, there was this this carrot being hung in front of me that, you know, of potential. You know, it, it, it wasn't a, a totally horrible read like other books in my life have been. It, it just didn't realize that potential. So you get one star for a nice idea and the premise and everything. But um, as far as recommending it for somebody else to read, if you're in a scenario and uh, where it's, you know, you're on a desert island and it's the only book there with you, then, you know, then you can read it. <laughs> Other than that, there's so much other good stuff to read. <laughs> so, 
don't waste your time with this book. I, I did not enjoy um, the experience of reading this book. Yeah, I will say that before we started talking, I would have probably given it a three. I was kind of indifferent about it. But after talking about it, I'm generally a little bit more lenient about my rating. So I'll give it a two. It wasn't the worst book. I only give ones to like the worst books I've ever read and would probably burn them if I was cold. You know, <laughs> that's how bad they were. I did not <laughs> feel that way about this book. So I will give it a two. <laughs> it was, I finished it. I was able to finish it. So that alone deserves something. <laughs> it was unique, so that deserves something. It wasn't written like a five-year-old wrote it, so that deserves a little credit. <laughs> I have read some truly, truly awful books, and this was not that bad <laughs> in comparison. I have to say something to our podcast audience out there. If you're you know, coming in for the first or second time with the, pod with the podcast, and Amber Greg too is like you giving a half a star out there, America. I'm telling you. <laughs> this is a book to stay away from. Yeah. I'm usually in the four to five star range. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, any other final thoughts where you feel like we've beaten a dead horse now? <laughs> no, the horse is dead. I'm good. <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, this book is the reason why we do the podcast. We're not going to like every single book, you know. And, but still, we need to you know, explore some of the ones that just ain't so great. This is one of them. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you all for joining us on the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. And I hope you join us for our next podcast. And if you haven't listened to previous ones, go ahead and check those out. Thanks for listening to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book with a strong female main character. The chat doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area or connect with us on social media. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a review, like, follow, and a share with your friends. Find more reviews, discussions, and articles related to publishing, writing, and editing on judgingmorethanjustthecover.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace out.